This is Wonder, the travel podcast where you can listen to conversations about experiences, adventures, and all things travel. My name is Christine Mitchie, and welcome to Wonder. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Christine, and we're excited to have you here on Wonder. Today is going to be a really exciting podcast because we are taking a look at a location that is further from Australia than some of our previous ones. And today we're going to be wondering about Monte Verde, Costa Rica, which is really exciting because I have a little bit of a special connection to this place, which I'll go into in a little bit. But today we're going to get into how to get to Monte Verde, what Monte Verde is like, the best experiences in Monte Verde, the top hostel to stay at, and all of the highlights of our travel experience to Monte Verde, Costa Rica. But before we get into that, I am just going to give a bit of an overview about how things have been going, a little bit of an intro. So first, I want to say thank you so much for everybody who is listening. It has been a really fun journey, this being our fifth podcast. And we are starting this podcast with a new microphone and some new headphones, which is really fun. I never thought that I would be someone who would get so excited about a microphone until I started podcasting and there was nothing wrong with it. Hopefully the quality for you all was fine on the other end, but I had a dream microphone that I had found on TikTok. I had seen a number of videos of all the podcasters talking about this one specific microphone and sure enough, and pun intended because it's actually called the sure. Um, but sure enough, it went on massive, massive sale on Prime Day, actually. So I ended up getting the the new microphone on Prime Day, which was really great. So now I have a couple of different microphones when I'm podcasting with guests, which is going to be really exciting. So that is one highlight recently. And the other highlight is we have reached over 100 listeners. So thank you all so much for listening. If this is your first podcast, welcome. If you've listened to our podcast before, welcome back. It's been such a wild ride. We've only been podcasting since mid-June and already you know we've been able to have over 100 people listen to our podcast which just seems really surreal i think when i think about the, recording a podcast before the last couple of weeks it just seems pretty wild that already over 100 people are listening to what we've put together in in this podcast so thank you so much for your support thanks so much for joining us today Let's talk a little bit about my introduction to this trip to Monteverde. And I want to preface this. So I actually took this trip in college. This was my spring break trip at the end of my senior year. So this was March of 2016. This trip kind of came about a little bit randomly. So there were a couple of friends that were going to Costa Rica and we were, I was chatting about it with them and they had suggested, oh, like you should come along. And I kind of thought it was a passing comment, but then they messaged me again and they're like, yeah, you should definitely come along. We have a whole group going and whatnot. And at this stage in my college career, I had my friends were there that I was close to were not doing something for spring break and or were going home, but I really wanted a pretty quintessential spring break trip. I hadn't had one throughout college. I never really had, you know, any money to to go on trips, even though I worked throughout college. 
Um, but I wasn't making really any money at all. So I didn't have too much to go on trips, but I was able to save up for this trip in particular. And I jumped on it when this one friend of mine invited me. I just thought it would be a good idea. I knew half of the group well uh, or, or good enough, but the other half I didn't really know very well, but I was just pretty keen to go. And they told me that there were plans and they were more geared towards the second half of the spring break. And I really wanted to do my own thing the first half of the break. So bought flights and that was kind of a little bit of a challenge. Flights actually were really strangely quite expensive from Denver to Costa Rica. And Denver is where I was in uh, in 2016. That's where I went to college. They were really strangely expensive. So I do remember that I was watching them like a hound trying to buy them at the cheapest point. And I think I ended up getting them for $550 round trip or something close to that. So it wasn't too terrible, but it also, it wasn't great either. I think given the proximity, you would think that maybe it'd be a little bit closer, but nevertheless, I, I bought the flights and this is the first trip that I had done on my own. And when I say that I studied abroad in college, I had visited a couple of other countries in the Middle East where I studied abroad, but I did them all with friends. Although I do feel a large part of them were quote unquote, alone and on my own, especially the day-to-day. I studied abroad in Amman, Jordan, which will definitely be a podcast or, or a series of podcasts at some point. But I traveled alone in that, but I didn't, I've never taken a, a holiday kind of on my own or a vacation on my own. So I was really excited for this one because I knew that I was going to meet up with my friends a few days in. And so before that, I wanted to plan a part of the trip where it was just me adventuring through Costa Rica. When I went to the planning phase, I was looking around. There's a number of different great places in Costa Rica. I think that this was quite a bit of a challenge because it was hard to know where to go. I knew me and my friends were going to meet up in Haco Beach. So I tried to find somewhere close enough to Haco Beach, but not so close that I would be kind of experiencing the same type of experience for the whole trip. And so that's where I landed at Monteverde. There is a similar area in some ways called uh, Arenal Volcano that is not too far from Monteverde. I really wanted to go to as well. I didn't have the the time or, or money to go, so I had to just do Monteverde. But I would definitely visit there if you are planning a trip. I have heard a lot of really great things from friends that have visited. I've seen really amazing photos and just heard great things about exploring near that volcano. Interestingly, uh, my boyfriend, Hugh, who you guys would have heard on our, our podcast about Hunter Valley, he and I watched this documentary style film done by National Geographic a couple weeks ago called Fire of Love. And it's actually about these two volcanologists and they study volcanoes all across the world and their lovers. They're from France. And it's this beautiful movie about all the research they contributed to the study of volcanoes. So after that, I feel really inspired to go spend some time around volcanoes, inactive ones. Also, if you are looking for a great film to to watch, definitely check out Fire of Love on Disney+. Plus. But I decided on Monteverde because it looked a little bit different. It had this amazing rainforest that we'll talk a little bit about, had monkeys, the town was really small, and it looked a little bit different. And I really loved that. So I was really excited to go on this trip. And it 
This trip is just really memorable for me because it was that first trip that I I traveled on my own outside of the US. And I really felt quite independent and inspired by the idea that you could just pack your bags and you could go travel on your own. You didn't have to go with somebody else. And that was such a cool feeling, especially being in the later half of my college years, right before I was about to graduate. It just, the timing of it was really well well planned. And my family was super supportive and really excited for me to go, you know, figure things out on my own, which was, which was really great. So this one was really memorable to me. Now that we covered a little bit of my view of this trip, let's get into some of the basics about Monteverde. I think first of all, just highlighting where Costa Rica is, is really important. If you're not familiar, Costa Rica is just south of Nicaragua, and it's in Central America. It's not too far from the US. You can fly out of Dallas pretty easily, Dallas to Costa Rica, just a couple hour flight, and it's right north of Panama. So just about down to South America, but right in the middle of the Caribbean there. Monteverde itself is situated right outside of this town called Santa Elena, which is northwest of San Jose, which is the main city of Costa Rica. And Monteverde itself is in the, I'm going to butcher this, Cordillera de Tilaran mountain range. <laughs> you speak Spanish. I apologize. But is in the mountain range about 1,300 meters above sea level, 4,250 feet. So it's pretty high up and it's in this gorgeous mountain range. And it takes about four hours to get there. If you look on Google Maps, it says two and a half, but that's definitely not based on an average person driving. The road to get to Monteverde is treacherous, or at least it was in 2016. It could have been updated. I'm not quite sure, but it was really quite treacherous. So I would be surprised if anyone made it there in two hours and 24 minutes from San Jose. But if you do, great, great work from you. But I wouldn't count on it if you are visiting and if you are planning on driving. Monteverde itself gets over 100 inches of rain per year, which is quite a bit. It's known to be really cloudy and rainy. And as I said, we will talk about the the cloud forest, but it can get really chilly and it really hovers around 25 degrees Celsius, 75 degrees Fahrenheit year round. So it doesn't fluctuate too much. Um, can get a little bit colder, of course, if it's, it's, if it's quite rainy, but Otherwise, um, that's kind of what you're going to get, uh, although it can get pretty cool in the evenings. So I do remember when I was there, really helpful to bring a bit of a jacket or, or a sweater, something to keep you warm because it can get quite cold up there. Whereas this is in stark contrast from Hako Beach, where I went after this, which had to have been 30 four degrees Celsius. It just, it was so hot down there. I remember stepping off the bus and just immediately started dripping sweat. It was so incredibly hot. So Monteverde is a nice break from that. Also, if you were going the opposite way, if you did spend time at some of the beaches, they are quite humid and hot. Then going up north would be a really nice reprieve from from some of the heat and humidity. Each year, about 70,000 people visit Monteverde, which in hindsight is, is actually really quite a small number. I was pretty surprised when I, when I saw 70,000 because it just seems really low. If we think back to our 
Missoula episode, potentially 1.2 million people visit Missoula, which is the whole population of Missoula is 65,000. It just, yeah, it seems like a little bit small. But that being said, um, you know, that's actually probably a good thing. Something I've been reading about uh, a little bit recently in the the news, especially when it comes to France, is this over tourism and the reality of some of these these really popular tourist destinations are getting overly visited. The Dutch government is actually considering naming some other landmarks Amsterdam because so many people are going to Amsterdam. They want to try to just defer people elsewhere outside of just Amsterdam city if they aren't familiar with the place, which I'm not quite sure if that would work, but they're having a lot of challenges. I think so many people in Europe are having challenges. I actually just read today that 95% of peak 2019 level tourists have returned to Europe, meaning that the levels of tourism that Europe is seeing have returned almost 100% to 2019 levels, so pre-pandemic levels, which is just amazing for the tourism industry. But it is a lot to, to take, especially after a couple of years where we haven't had so much travel. So I would be interested to know if 70,000 visitors is a lot in the eyes of someone who lives in Monteverde or if it's maybe not so much. To me, it seems a little bit low, but I think that maybe is a good thing. Now that we've covered some of the basics on Monteverde, let's talk about the trip that I took here and what that was like. To get started, the trip was two days and three nights. And so I had two full days in Monteverde and had three nights. And I think that that was a really good timeline. I think you could easily do one more day, but I think that that was a really good timeline just to see the town a little bit bop around and do some adventures, but then be able to head to other destinations. In terms of preparing for this trip, the initial trip, like I said, so I started talking to a friend of mine in January, I believe, and really confirmed everything in late Jan. So not too long. I I would have left mid-March. So just about six weeks ahead of time, which now that I'm piecing this together, that might make sense why the flights were quite expensive. So I had about six weeks time to to plan this trip. And this was the first trip I ever fully planned for myself. I did all my own research, put together a Google Doc, and really was able to compile what I wanted to do, which was really fun. This is where even in talking relation to this podcast, this is where I really feel like I had such an interest in travel. We'll get into this. It's an idea I have for a future podcast, but I did not grow up traveling outside of the state, really, of Montana. We didn't really go on big holidays growing up, and we didn't leave too often, and certainly hadn't left the country uh, either. So the idea of planning a trip to a destination outside the country was really new and novel to me, really exciting. And it just really sparked this interest that I am so happy that I've continued to pursue up until this point. And and of course, we'll continue pursuing because I love it and I love talking about travel and I love working in travel as well. And it's actually, even thinking back to it, it's quite serendipitous because I started this in March and then I got hired by the company that I work for in December of 2016. So just later that year, after I had really decided that I uh, and figured out that I did love travel, 
I started working in the travel industry. But this trip, I really went and researched all the different things, you know, what to do. And there were a number of good blogs that I found. Even in preparing for this podcast, I found a couple of really great blogs on Manta Verde. It's not a you know destination that we sees millions of people each year, as we now know. So there aren't hundreds of blogs by any means, but there's a couple of good ones. And I will mention a couple of them later in this podcast, uh, or at least the main one that I thought was really standout. But I went through some of the blogs and tried to find out what are some good activities to do, where's good places to stay, and maybe what's a place or two to eat. Again, I was only there for for two days, so I wasn't there for too long. Uh, But I put everything together and I booked the flights and the hostel. And I ended up staying in the town. So the town that's at the base of Monte Verde is called Santa Elena, right outside the national park. And I ended up staying in a hostel here. The hostel I remember being amazing. I This was my first hostel experience and it was phenomenal. It was really clean. The people were really friendly. Um, the building itself was gorgeous, had this big open area, kitchen, whatnot. Although I didn't really understand hostel culture when I was there because I had never been to one and then I was going to one by myself. And so I kind of kept to myself. I chatted to a couple of people, but I I was maybe a little bit timid to spend a lot of time in the common areas. But in my dorm itself, I had four, uh, I think there was six bunks or three bunks for six people. And there was a bathroom that we had. It all was really clean and lovely and you know felt really cozy and comfortable there. And in the the dorm room itself actually were some Australians. And this was the first time I had really interacted with Australians, which fast forward now living in Australia. But they had told me that they we were talking about you know travel and whatnot and they told me that they you know graduate high school and they usually go on this you know gap year and go travel everywhere and that concept was so foreign to me i i don't know of those of you listening who are also american but when i think about the idea of a gap year between high school and college it just never came up i don't know anyone personally who took a gap year. Me and all my friends went straight from high school into college. When I was hearing this, I was like, wow, like that's so amazing. Like they're traveling, you know, they're only, you know, 18, 19, they're traveling around the world on this year abroad. But it does make sense, right? When you think Australia is so secluded, it's it's really quite far from everywhere. If you don't get the ability to travel quite a bit when you're younger, you have that desire to go travel and and explore right after you finish high school when you're going into adulthood, so to speak. So it makes sense, but it was really fun meeting them and then interesting, you know, potential foreshadowing for what lie years ahead from that moment. But they were really friendly and I stayed in this dorm. I do remember quite a bit of anxiety staying in a dorm about, I'm in this dorm with all these people. This dorm actually, now that I have stayed in other hostels, this dorm didn't have have any place to lock your stuff up. So my bag was on my bunk and I slept with like holding my passport underneath my pillow, terrified that it might disappear at some point in the middle of the night. But it was... It was a great stay. Everyone was really helpful. And unfortunately, this hostel is no longer up and running, but I did find a really great hostel that looks pretty comparable, a little bit nicer than where I stayed, but still only about 25 AUD per night. And that was the Outbox Inn. Looks really lovely and maybe 
who knows, it, it could have even just taken over the building and given it an upgrade. So maybe that's why it looks so familiar. But that place looks really nice. There are a number of hostels. Some look better than others, but they all have pretty reasonable reviews. So I would definitely recommend checking out Hostel World and or on any other site that you you might find booking accommodation on. And the last highlight I'll say actually about the hostels, and this is just one thing I loved about Costa Rica in general, is in the mornings when I would leave the the hostel room, the hostel itself was tucked in this forest-esque area. And there are these little bridges to the other building parts of the hostel grounds. And in the mornings, there was just monkeys everywhere. It was so much fun seeing them and they were just hanging out really docile. There's also a bunch of slaws as well, but they didn't really come down. I don't believe they come down during the daytime, or at least I didn't see any, unfortunately, but I know that people there had seen some, um, which was really cool. So a lot of wildlife everywhere, which is just so much fun and added a really lovely dynamic, similar to the Hunter Valley Eco Retreat. I don't know what it is, but I feel like animals and wildlife just, yeah, they really make a trip something special. It's so different from your day to day being able to see a monkey on the, you know, right outside your door, or a pig running around, or a little Shetland pony. It's just, yeah, it's quite fun. So I really enjoyed it. In terms of getting to Monteverde, as I alluded to, Monteverde is not an easy place to get to. If you are kind of driving on your own, I think it would be a really difficult drive and I wouldn't recommend it. But I personally took a bus from San Jose, which again is the main city, to Monteverde. And I had booked this online ahead of time. So I knew that I was going to take the bus, but this was my first introduction, as I said, to really traveling on my own. And so I'll, I'll tell you all the story. I got off the plane and I immediately went to the taxi the taxi rank and I tried to get a taxi. And I don't know how it is now, but at this time, there weren't that many people speaking English in Costa Rica. And so I was trying to find somebody I could explain where I was going. And maybe now you could even book a taxi ahead of time. I definitely recommend that. I've done that in other places like Bangkok and, and whatnot, where it's really difficult to get a taxi or somebody if you if you haven't booked it because there's just so so much chaos and whatnot. So Book it ahead of time if you can. But if you can't, there's a lot of taxis outside the airport that are there. You can grab them. But I didn't speak very much Spanish. In grade school, we are taught Spanish growing up, but I did transition into Arabic in high school. And so I really only could speak, you know, a couple really basic sentences. I know a couple of colors, and that's pretty much it. And where the bathroom is. So that wasn't really going to help me getting the taxi. But I managed to find someone that spoke a tiny bit of English and told him I needed to go to the bus, said bus location. And the funny thing also is thinking back on this, and this is actually why it's quite fun doing a trip that was a long time ago, because the technology was different. I would have had like an iPhone 3 at this time, something really, really geriatric. And Um, I would have had like an iPhone 3 and I did not get a SIM card. So this was a big challenge. I did not get a SIM card, so I did not have any data. I don't actually know if you could get SIM cards at this time in other countries. I don't really remember what it looked like. All I know is I just didn't get one. So maybe you could get one and I just walked right past it. But I also didn't really 
think too much about it. I had a different SIM when I was traveling in Jordan, but I had like a Nokia-esque phone there anyway. And the SIM, actually, I'd never had it in my my iPhone because I think that this was during the time, and I think this is what it is. This is during the time that your iPhone was actually locked. So you have to get it unlocked in order to use a SIM that wasn't registered to the company that you had the phone with. At least that's how it was in the US. I didn't have a phone SIM. So I just went completely off the grid, which looking back is completely terrifying because I landed in the middle of this city and I got in a cab and I didn't even have a phone. Um, but so wild. But nevertheless, the taxi did take me to a bus station. However, it was not the right bus station. So I got to the bus station. I try to find my bus. I'm kind of running around. I have my big backpack on and I couldn't find any information. Finally found somebody uh, that spoke English. I asked them and they were like, oh, you're at the wrong bus stop. The, uh, that bus stop is, you know, 10 minutes that way. And I started panicking because I was getting pretty close to the bus leaving and I, this is the last bus for the evening. And so I quickly was able to get a cab and I had the person I was talking to explain in Spanish how to get to said other bus station. And then this guy was able to get me there. So it was pretty hectic. I didn't get there until right minutes before the bus was leaving. I ran on, I was absolutely exhausted and it was such chaos. I'd just, you know, flown all the way here and ran around. And, and again, I don't speak any of the language. So it was quite, quite dramatic in an entrance, but I got on the bus and really settled in. Like I said, it was about four hours, at least that's what I remember. But part of me thinks it actually could have been six. It, it was it was a good while. And I just got on the bus and slept. It was a really hectic ride. The mountain range, it's it's like a road in the mountains. And it's one of those that when you when you're on it, you're thinking, should a bus be on this? And it wasn't one like a you know a two bus lengths bus by any means, but a bus is a bus, and it's the same thing that I think about when I see these logging trucks go up in the mountains. And I'm just always curious as to how they fit in these really small roads in the middle of the mountains. Really similar to that, but we made a stop kind of uh, about halfway there. We were able to go to the, the El Baño, the bathroom, and there's there's all the Spanish I have. And then we were able to to get some food from this this food place and have a little bit of a break. And so that was really nice. Had that break and then jumped back in and gotten to uh, Santa Elena right after dark. And when we got there, one thing I hadn't looked up was where the hostel was. So I was actually, I, I actually asked somebody else if I could use their phone to look up <laughs> where the hostel was. And this is one of the the times when traveling just the universe really helps you out and that the hostel was maybe only like a 10 minute walk. I did have to go through some kind of main roads and you know I I had no way of really confirming once I left said person but nevertheless I continued and was able to to find it on my own in the dark without a phone so if you're <laughs> my parents listening to this um just keep in mind, I'm here safe uh, and sound. But I made it to the hostel, checked in and 
and that was it. So it was definitely a bit of a journey, full day if you're traveling from the US. And once I got to the hostel, everyone was so sweet. The hostel was really welcoming and everyone was just really lovely. So I loved that. Once I dropped my bags off, I went to the little town, so Santa Elena, and I was able to walk there. It was really easily walkable from my hostel to the town, maybe like 10 minutes again, but super easy. And this is where I went to the first restaurant that I that I visited in Monteverde. And this one is actually the most lovely memory. Again, I was on my own and and having just a bit of a an awakening, if you must, of just, wow, like the world's so big. I had went abroad the year before. I really felt like I was, I was loving traveling. I was starting to just get such an appreciation for all the different cultures existing in this really amazing world. So it was really just broadening my horizons, which was amazing. The first place I went to was the Treetop Restaurant and Cafe. And I chose this place because it just looked like the most exciting. If you can imagine a giant tree, like the mother tree in Avatar, just a big tree with lots of long, big branches and basically a cafe built kind of into it and around it and on it, that is what the treetop restaurant and cafe is. Not to be confused with the treetop dining experience, which is something a little bit more high-end, but we'll talk about that in a second. This was lovely. There was a lot of neon lights and there was live music and just a really fun vibe. I thought that this was a great place for me to sit down, have a drink, have a nice meal, and I loved it. Everyone was so friendly. It was really easy to order. The, the people there are just so nice and the food was amazing. Really fresh, vibrant dishes with lots of flavor and all in all, just 10 out of 10. I loved watching the live music and something really fun to do on your own. I find that when I'm traveling on my own, it's so helpful to go find a place that has a little bit of a vibe and and has you know some live music or or lights or whatnot because it just kind of it really adds to the experience. I'm not a big fan of kind of going to a quiet place and reading and having a cocktail. That's not really my vibe when I'm traveling alone. I really loved this place. And the other place that I remember eating for the second night was this really small shack. And this was right in the town as well, or actually right outside. It was kind of on my walk to my hostel. And you kind of imagine like a bit of a hilltop. That's where the town is. It's a street. It has, you know, restaurants and what whatnot on each side. Then I kind of walked down around the corner was my hostel. I loved this little shack place. They had I had a burrito which was phenomenal absolutely massive, so much flavor. And the people who made it were also incredibly lovely and so friendly. And the food just was to die for us. I really love the food here. I thought it was great. I can only imagine how great it is in, in the other Central and South American countries. I went to those two places. I don't actually remember where else I went the for some reason, I only remember going to those two places. Maybe I ate at them multiple times, but uh, the hostel I was at had breakfast. Would also recommend getting a place that has breakfast. I think it's just so helpful when you're traveling if, if the place that you're staying has breakfast. I usually am 
a really big breakfast eater. I love breakfast, but a lot of countries you travel to aren't really that big in breakfast. Example being, I once went to breakfast at 7 a.m. in Paris and nowhere was open. I went in Egypt, me and some friends visiting went to look for breakfast at 10 a.m. and we ended up at McDonald's because it was the only place open. So I know that not everywhere loves breakfast as much as I do. So finding it where you're staying is really important if you are also a breakfast person. If you're not, then Godspeed to you. Outside of the two places that I mentioned, even though the second one didn't have a name, but I think that you would find it if you were there. The third one is the San Lucas Treetop Dining Experience, which this one came really highly recommended. I saw this on a number of blogs as just the number one thing to do. Apparently, it is this immersive dining experience in the treetops of the the rainforest. So it looks really cool. The photos are beautiful. And if you're visiting, definitely would recommend that. If you're a student on a budget like I was, probably out of budget, but then you can always go to the treetop restaurant and cafe, which is a huge highlight as we've talked about. Outside of those, there are two breweries that came recommended. When I was there, I didn't go to any breweries. I don't actually know that there were any breweries as breweries have become so much more popular, craft breweries, especially in the last five to eight years. But there's two that have become really highly, have been highly recommended throughout the blogs that I've looked through. One is Monteverde Brewing Co. And the blog that I definitely recommend checking out is Costa Rica Travel Life. They have a lot of really personable and local recommendations and content. And Monteverde Brewing Co., as noted by Costa Rica Travel Life, is really well known for their fresh fruits and coffee being integrated with their beers, which just sounds delectable, honestly. Nothing sounds better than a cold passion fruit sour or a coffee stout or something um, similar. So that's the first one. And then the second one is Belmar Craft Brewery, which is also highly rated from the bar and brewery scene. For what I did in the day. The activities were really the biggest highlight of the trip. The main attraction is the cloud forest. This is really where the clouds meet the rainforest. And I looked online saying that there are a really limited number of cloud forests on the planet. And this is one of them. The cloud forest stretches more than 35,000 acres with tons of wildlife. And just to give you a bit of insight, has over 100 different types of mammals, 400 types of Costa Rican birds, and 1,200 plus species of amphibians and reptiles, which is amazing. I love frogs. And if you look up Monteverde, there is a frog garden. There is night frog tour. There are some really interesting types of frogs in the the Monteverde area. So if you're interested in frogs, definitely check them out. But in terms of the cloud forest, so the main area and it was created in the it was really blocked off in the 1970s, but has really phenomenal trails. There's around 13 kilometers of trails, which is eight miles spanning throughout the park. There's a suspension bridge and you can zip line through the cloud forest, which is really amazing. My experience of the cloud forest is one that I'm told is quite unique. 
in that I caught the cloud forest on a cloudless day. And so when I was getting ready to go to the cloud forest, I, you know, I was just going to go for a walk. Again, I was pretty budget constrained. So I will say if you're budget constrained, you don't have to do a tour and you can still have an amazing time. I had the best time. You do have to pay to get into the park, uh, similar to any other national park. But once you're in the park, you can walk around at your own accord. And that's what I did. You don't have to do the zip line or the guided tours if you don't have if that's not a part of your priorities or your budget, so you can have a great time without those. Although I'm sure that those would be really helpful. And I did read online that they help you pick out and spot different animals, which is great. But the cloudless forest, as I call it now that there were no clouds, yeah, it was amazing. I walked the whole day and I saw some really cool trees. It was gorgeous and um, definitely saw some different critters and whatnot. No large spiders in this this visit, thankfully, but it was beautiful. I also walked on the suspension bridge, which is truly jaw-dropping. It was so amazing going on the suspension bridge that I kept trying to take some really cool photos, but unfortunately with me and my iPhone 3 and I was all on my own, they just kind of came out as awkward selfies. But uh, definitely would recommend don't miss a suspension bridge if you are going, you'll see it on the map and you can track it down. This was a really big highlight. It's the main draw to Monteverde and Santa Elena. And so a lot of people come here and I did read as well that you can do glamping and whatnot um, in and right around the, the cloud forest. And so it's a really exciting place to visit, really cool. And you can't miss it if you're visiting Costa Rica and if, especially if you're coming to Santa Elena. The second day, I did a different tour. This one I did purchase, and I did a coffee and chocolate tour with Don Juan Tours. And this one I booked the day before with my hostel, so they were able to book it for me. I don't know how popular they get, but I was traveling in, in pretty, at the end of the peak season, and I was able to book it the day before. But if you're worried, I think you can definitely reach out to them and book it. They were really lovely. I actually, Don Juan at the time was quite an older gentleman and he must have been, yeah, I don't know, in his late 80s. When we were going on the tour, we were going through the coffee bean roasting area and he was actually there with some people looking at the coffee beans, which is amazing. And so I got to meet him and it was really surprising. So really cool. But I love this tour. This tour was really fun. And I also think don't miss if you are in the area. Costa Rica is really well known for its chocolate and its coffee. And a lot of it is also fair trade as well. So it's really the fair trade in what I know. And so if there's more to this that I'm leaving out, I apologize. But the fair trade, basically when things are fair trade certified, it's confirmed and vetted that the people who are making the coffee or the chocolate are paid fair work wages and are able to work in, in fair working conditions as well. So a lot of things are fair trade certified in Costa Rica. I'm not quite sure if Don Juan's is, um, but I know that others are in the area. And so um, there are others that have chocolate tours and coffee tours around Costa Rica. But I thought that this one was really fun. I actually met a group of guys that were actually all an age of 
what your dad would be. And they were on a motorcycle tour and they do a yearly motorcycle tour with each other where they go to some country, rent motorcycles and drive throughout the country, which was really cool. They were really friendly from the US. And so I ended up just having a really nice chat with them and and we kind of went along the tour together, which was really fun. There wasn't really that many people on the tour. So I'm not quite sure if it was just maybe a slow day or or whatnot. I'm, I can't remember what day it was itself, but there were many people. So we had a really good time. And at the end of the, the tour, you get to eat chocolate and you get to have some coffee and and have a bit of a social hour. At this time as well, it was just about sundown. And so we were watching the sunset or this beautiful field. And it was just really a really lovely experience. And again, really reminded how amazing the planet is at this point in time. That was a really fun experience. And outside of that, there are other activities. Like I said, there's the gardens, there's the frog gardens. They also have butterfly gardens, orchid gardens, and a lot of different gardens to check out. There's a local waterfall that came pretty highly rated, El Tigre Waterfall. And there's a couple other places to to check out that were on some blogs. But I think that if you hit the Cloud Forest Coffee Tour and the waterfall and or some of the gardens, you will, will really see a lot of what Monte Verde has to offer. This trip, some of my highlights were really just bopping around on my own, seeing how beautiful Monteverde was, making friends and just feeling really independent. I have traveled on my own since then. And it's just a really unique sense that you get when you're traveling on your own. You get to go on a trip that you planned and you get to go exactly where you want to go and you get to see what you want to see, which is really the best part. And so I definitely recommend traveling on your own. Costa Rica is a really great place to travel. If you are solo, especially as a female, I felt really safe the whole time. People were so friendly. I just, I can't even, I can't even convey how lovely they were, how respectful and nice they were, and really made the trip having such a culture of of generosity and hospitality taken so, so much to heart as, as they do in Costa Rica. On this trip, I really learned quite a bit about myself as I've, I've noted a couple of times. And I really just loved exploring a Spanish speaking country. I, like I, I said, I, I spoke a little bit of Spanish when I was growing up. I wish I spoke more Spanish, although it's never too late, but I really enjoyed being in a country where they didn't speak too much English. I would find people here and there that spoke a little bit, but they weren't speaking too much English. And I don't know if you all listening get this, but when you're in a country and they don't speak English, it's almost relaxing in a way because you don't know what anyone's saying. And so you just get to kind of, you know, take a beat and and relax for a bit and you can try to communicate when you when you can and whatnot. But I really loved that. I think a couple other things that I wanted to know, things aren't really that much cheaper than they are in the US. And so this is not really a saving destination. I initially thought that things were going to be quite cheap when I went there, but it's almost one-to-one, or at least it was when I was there. I've heard other friends who've been there have also said this as feedback of just, you know, they really thought that this was going to be a trip where the exchange rate was going to be really in, in their favor. 
but it's not. I went through money way more quickly than I thought I was. And and so that was a big learning as well to really check the exchange rate and understand it before you go. And make sure you bring cash. The only ATM I came across was in Hako Beach, my second destination. I am sure there are others, but to be really honest, none of them looked like they were taken care of in any real way. And actually one of them that we went to didn't work and tried to eat one of our cards. So I would just bring cash, bring enough cash with you more than you think that you need and you'll be set. I think that is it for Costa Rica. I really can't wait to go again, but I've really enjoyed talking about Monteverde with you all today. It's such a special place for me. I loved visiting. I loved planning this trip and I can't wait to go again. I hope everybody listening today has left with some great insights into what traveling Monteverde is like, how you can enjoy your time visiting and a bit about my visit. But if you have any questions or anything at all, please don't hesitate to reach out directly to uh, to us on Instagram. But thank you so much for listening today. 